Hey everybody, welcome back. You're listening to The Blodgett Show. I want to welcome everybody to this week's episode of Storytime Friday. My name is Chris, I'm your host, and this is episode 61. Once again, guys, welcome. Appreciate you being here. This week's Storytime Friday story is titled, I'm Going to Find Her. Michael had been a truck driver for about 15 years. He had driven all over the entire United States of America and had seen a lot of different things. When he started driving trucks, he never imagined that he would see some of the things that he had seen. He had thought, when he first started, that his career would be a very straightforward type of gig. He never thought that he would ever experience anything odd or strange in his line of work. When he first started driving trucks, he was terrified. He was already dealing with with the separation from his family, and then had to deal with the adjustment into a new career. When he first started, he went to a truck driving school in Gary, Indiana. He had been booked in a hotel room with a roommate named Ron, and the school was going to last about a month. Before Michael left for trucking school, he had spent about a year and a half on unemployment and had finally made the decision to become a trucker because of the fact that he knew that he had to do something to support his family and this was the best thing he could think of after everything he had been through. The drive to the trucking school was pretty rough for him. Although he had driven quite a few long-distance trips with his ex, he still was not used to what he was about to go through. Michael kissed his wife Margaret and his kids Riley and Lexi goodbye, and he boarded the Greyhound bus. Thankfully, the bus had electrical hookups, so he was able to charge his phone while he was en route to Chucky School. Sadly, sleeping while traveling was not something that Michael was good at, so he was awake and alert for the entire time that he was traveling from Pennsylvania to Indiana. He had not done a whole lot of bus travel, so he didn't know what to expect on his way to the truck driving school. Michael was so grateful for the fact that he had a way to charge his phone while traveling in the Greyhound bus. He was thankful that he could not only take advantage of Netflix while he was traveling, but also could plug his phone in and keep it charged. As the bus left PA, they stopped at quite a few bus stops. There was a young guy sitting next to Michael So, as they made their way down the interstate. His name was Jim. Wow, Jim said. Michael had fallen asleep and looked over and was like, huh? Well, why what? Jim was like, I was just thinking PA to Indiana isn't that far, but we've already been going for 12 hours and we're only in Ohio. Michael was like, really? Ohio? Are you sure? I thought we'd be a lot further by now. Jim laughed and was like, no, seriously, we're about halfway through Ohio right now. As the Greyhound bus continued along the Ohio Turnpike, Michael shrugged and closed his eyes and went back to sleep. There was no use in worrying about it, about how long it was taking after all. All he could do was keep keep on the path he was on. All he, all he could do was keep doing what he was doing. His main goal was to make things better for his family, and he couldn't do that until he was officially a truck driver. Michael hadn't fully fallen asleep 
So when the bus slowed to a stop in front of the school and set the brakes, it snapped him out of it. The bus driver came over the intercom. All right, y'all, we've arrived. Up and at him. Everybody grabbed your stuff and disembarked the bus. Michael was pretty groggy. He was extremely tired. He had tried his best to sleep, and yet he had really only been half asleep the entire drive there. He and the rest of the students slowly made their way off the bus into the trucking school. One of the instructors directed them into one of the classrooms. They were seated and then asked to fill out a bunch of paperwork. One of the instructors started making his way around the classroom, talking to the students individually. When he got to Michael, he took one look at him and then sighed. How was your trip? The instructor asked. Michael was like, oh, it was fine. The instructor was like, yeah, you, <laughs> you look like shit. Did you get any rest? Michael was like, no, I'm not used to sleeping while traveling, so I've been awake for probably about the full, probably a full 27 hours. The instructor looked around the classroom and said, actually, all of you need to get some rest before we begin. Report, report to the hotel immediately and get some sleep. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Michael and the rest of the students got up and ex exited the classroom. After so many hours without sleep, the bed in the hotel felt like heaven. When they woke up the next morning, they were all a lot more prepared for what they were going to have to do as truck driving students. Breakfast was amazing. The, ho the hotel breakfast included scrambled eggs, bacon, sausage, biscuits, and gravy. After eating, all the students waited outside in the blistering cold for the bus to take them to the school. As they took their seats in the classroom, tension was pretty high among them. Michael especially was really tense. He had been through a lot in the last few years. He had gotten out of the military, had worked, worked in security for a few years, and then been laid off. Then he had been on unemployment for a few years while putting in, putting in dozens of applications and finally had decided that trucking was probably the best route for him to go. As trucking school began, Michael was nervous as hell. The instructor went over everything that they had to know, and Michael felt like he was understanding everything pretty well. After the first few weeks, which consisted mostly of book, book work, then it was time for them to go out on the road for the practical exams. Every truck would take out four students. There were 24 students in the class, so that meant that there, were, that there were, would be six trucks going out on the road. When it was Michael's turn for the practical exam, he was extremely nervous. He got in the driver's seat, buckled the seatbelt, and adjusted his mirrors. The instructor was like, before we begin, do you have any questions for me? Michael was like, no, sir. I don't believe I do. The instructor was like, okay, then go ahead and begin. Michael released the brakes and started, started moving down the road. Everything went well for the most part until they got to the end of the driving test when they were about to get back to the school. At the last turn of the test, Michael bumped the curb with the trailer as he made the turn. Panicking, he was like, I I'm so sorry, sir. I swear that's the first time that's ever happened. The instructor looked at him and was like, really? Michael nodded. The instructor filled out the paperwork and handed it to Michael and walked away. Michael was terrified as he handed the paperwork to the classroom instructor. Whenever the students got done with their tests, they were handed an envelope that they were expected to hand to their classroom instructor. After handing this envelope to the instructor, he went back to his seat and sat down. Tension in the classroom was extremely high as all the students waited for the instructor to open each envelope and reveal how all the students had done in their practical exams. After what seemed like forever, the instructor started to call the students up to his desk one by one. 
Michael watched closely and noticed that not every student returned to their desk after the instructor called them up. Most students returned to their desk, but there were students that would go up, quietly talk to the instructor, and then exit the room. After all the students had been called up, there were about two-thirds of them still remaining in the room. The instructor stood up and was like, for those of you still remaining in the classroom, you will pass the practical and will proceed to the next round of testing. Michael breathed a sigh of relief. He was so stressed when he was on his way to Indiana and then this past week or two of, of trucking school had been really intense. One of the things that had happened that had added to his stress had happened one, on one of the mornings when they were on their way to school. As they walked out to the bus at 5 a.m. in the morning, he had made a wrong step and had suddenly heard a loud boom that sounded like a shotgun blast. He felt a sudden pain in his ankle and before he knew it, he was face first on the ground. When they had done the practical test, Michael had been extremely stressed because of what had happened to his ankle, but he had pushed through it and had managed to pass it. After finding out that they had passed, all the students were dismissed for the day and were told that the following morning they, were, they would be meeting their driver trainer and to bring their stuff from the hotel. The next morning, Michael packed up all his stuff, had his breakfast at the hotel, and then rode the bus to the trucking, truck driving school. His trainer showed up two hours later and Michael loaded his luggage into his truck and they left the terminal. He was pretty stressed out, but having struggled for the past few years on unemployment, he was determined to make things make things work for his family. When they first took off, Michael was going to be the first one driving. And their route took them from Indiana to Dallas, Texas. Two thirds of the way down there, Michael was making his way through a toll booth and was trying to downshift his gears and his trainer yelled from the back in the bunk, clutch to the floor. Michael was like, right, clutch to the floor. Yes, sir. Sorry. Michael and his trainer got along pretty well for the most part, but as the weeks went by, they started to put, started to butt heads quite a bit. After they had reached the point where they had been out for a month, it was getting close to the time when they would get routed back towards Indiana for the students to do the last few days of school. Basically, the way things were set up, all the trainers would route, would be routed back to the school and drop off their students. And then the students would take their final test to upgrade their CDL from a learner's permit to an actual license. When it was almost time for Michael and his trainer to get rerouted back to Indiana, they had just delivered and parked for a bit in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Michael asked his trainer if he would be cool with, with Michael's wife coming out from Philly to pick him up and him heading home. The idea was instead of rerouting all the way back to Indiana, and then after getting his own truck, then making his way home for a bit to see the fam, he thought it would make more sense to go home right then. And after taking some time off, catch another Greyhound bus out to Indiana to complete his trucking school. His trainer agreed, and so Michael packed up his stuff and waited outside the truck on the curb for his wife to show up. It was late in the day and his trainer was catching a few hours of sleep before taking off. Things had gotten pretty tense between them, between him and his trainer, so he was anxious to get out of there. About an hour or so later, his wife pulled up and they loaded his stuff into her car and they headed home. After taking some much needed time off, he headed back to the school in Indiana and completed his schooling and got his license. He picked out his truck and officially 
headed out on the road to begin the next phase of his life. He finally felt like he was doing what he was always meant to do. When he was married to his ex, they had taken a lot of trips between Texas and Nebraska. Michael would always be the one driving the majority of the way, and he always thought he'd make an amazing truck driver because of how he could get behind the wheel and go quite a few hours without stopping. Most of the time, whenever he did have to stop, it was because his ex-wife and or her mom would need to stop again to hit the bathroom. He would always give them a hard time about it because of how frequent the stops were. His ex-mother-in-law would request they do a bathroom stop and Michael would be like, but we just stopped an hour ago. When Michael officially became a trucker, the first thing he noticed was how truckers officially had to comply with hours of service regulations that were imposed on them by the government. Over the next year and a half, Michael delivered several loads to customers all over the United States. It was never easy being away from home, but he always felt like it was the best way that he could think of to provide for his family and give them the life they deserved. It was early October, and he was scheduled to be routed home for his bi-weekly home time. For a while, he first started his trucking career. For a while, when he first started his trucking career, he was expected to be out for a month or two at a time before being allowed to go home for a few days. It took a long time for him to get things worked out the way that he wanted them, but he finally got it set up so he could still make the money he needed and could still get home more often. As he exited a small highway in Ohio and entered through the toll plaza of the Ohio Turnpike, his phone went off and he noticed it was his wife Margaret calling. Most of the time, she knew he'd be driving during the day and so she would usually send him a quick message and he'd get back to her whenever he had a chance. She didn't usually call randomly unless something was wrong. Michael grabbed his Bluetooth headset and answered the call. Hey love, what's up? Everything okay? At first, all he could hear was sobbing on the other end of the line. Love, what's wrong, Michael asked. Finally, he heard her take a breath. Baby, it's uh, it's Lexi and Grant, they're gone. Lexi was their oldest daughter and Grant was Lexi's son, Michael and Margaret's grandson. Lexi was 21 years old and Grant was a little over three years old. After not getting a response right away, Michael again said, What do you mean they're gone? What's, what's going on? Margaret started crying again and had to take a few more deep breaths just to try to calm down. I don't know. I, I came home from work and the house was a disaster. Stuff was all over the floor. It looked like we'd been broken into. The door was unlocked when I got home and I found the house trashed. Holy shit, Michael said. I don't know what to say. What about Lexi and Grant? Well, the room was the worst. Items thrown about the room. A, a few things were shattered. They are gone. I don't know what to do. Baby, calm down. Did you try to call? Did you try to call Lexi? Of course I did. I think her phone is off because it goes right to voicemail. Michael massaged his temples. He was telling himself to take, take a deep breath and try not to freak out. Even though every instinct was telling him to panic, he couldn't lose his cool though. He was loaded and on his way home or on his way with a very expensive, very heavy load, and he had to keep himself as calm as possible so he wouldn't lose control of the vehicle. After taking a few deep breaths, Michael asked, what about Riley? What's going on with her? Is she okay? Margaret responded, she was at school when all this, whatever this is, happened, so she's okay. She just, she just came home 
I asked her if she heard from her sister, and she said that she tried texting her, and the last few messages haven't been delivered. She asked what's going on with her sister and her nephew, and I told her I have no idea. What are we going to do, babe? Micro replied, love, let's try to remain calm. How long has it been? Did you try to call the police? Margaret replied, yes, of course. They, they said they can't do anything about it until they've been missing for 48 hours. All they were willing to do was fill out a report, but they can't officially report the missing until it's been 48 hours. What a bunch of crap, but, but I'm not surprised. I've heard that before. So you haven't been able to get through, through Alexi's phone? Did any of the neighbors see anything? Margaret sighed. Most of them didn't hear or see anything, but Joseph across the street said a few hours ago he saw a black van speed out of the cul-de-sac. He said he only saw that the plate was from Missouri, but uh, wasn't able to get the plate number. Baby, I'm freaking out here. This is our Lexi and our little grandbaby Graham. What if they're not okay? I don't know if I can handle the thought of anything bad happening to them. What if we never see them again? Maggie, love, please take a breath. I'm freaking out too. But we have to try to remain calm. We're no good to them if we freak out and lose our cool. I'll be home in about 10 hours. I just got onto the Ohio Turnpike, and I'm about 500 miles away. Keep trying to get through Alexi's cell, and I'll be home as soon as I can. Margaret sighed. Okay, baby, I'll try. Get home safe, please. I couldn't take it if anything happened to you, too. Don't worry about me. I'll be careful, and I'll see you tonight. I love you. Love you, too, Margaret said. The rest of the trip felt so long to Michael. He only had 500 miles to go, but the way he felt, it, it might as well have been 2,000, because no matter how close he was, it still felt like he couldn't get home quick enough. Halfway home, there was a major traffic accident, and traffic came to a stop for a few hours. A lot of drivers that stepped out of their vehicles were just standing there talking to one another. What the hell do you think is going on, one of them would ask. I have no idea. I heard something on the CB saying that uh, it was a pileup a few miles ahead, another one of them would say. By this point, Michael was pretty tense because all he wanted to do was get home and figure out what was going on. He needed to figure out what had happened to his daughter and grandson. He'd even gone back into the bunk area of his truck and heated up some food. Finally, after hours of sitting on the interstate, they cleared the accident and traffic started to move again. Thank God, Michael, Michael thought to himself as he released the brakes, shifted his truck into gear, began rolling down the turnpike again. Finally, he passed the Welcome to Pennsylvania sign. He sent a quick voice clip to his wife. Hey, love. Taking me a bit longer to get home. There was an accident um, and the highway was shut down for a few hours, but we're finally rolling and I just crossed into PA. Be there in about five more hours as long as nothing else happens. Okay, baby, be careful, Mike, Margaret replied. Hours later, he was finally pulling into the drop lot where he normally parked his Ram and where the company he was employed with dropped loaded and empty trailers. He was thankful that he was not having to deliver at an actual customer, but was staging the loaded trailer at this drop lot. This meant that he was saving some time because he wouldn't have to wait to be unloaded at the customer before he could park and head home. After dropping the trailer in the back lot, he drove the truck up to the front of the lot, which is where the bobtail, area park, or bobtail parking area was. He did his post-trip inspection and grabbed his stuff and packed up his ram. Exiting the gate, he waved at the security guard in the guard shack as they opened the gate to let him out. He had just pulled into their driveway at their house and had barely gotten out of the ram when Margaret met him and threw her arms around him. Oh my god, I'm so glad to see you, babe. Michael hadn't been paying attention when he got out and was getting ready to grab his stuff out of the ram, and so he was caught by surprise by Margaret. 
When she threw her arms around him, he almost fell over, but quickly caught her in his arms and hugged her back. Oh, hey, hey, it'll be okay. We'll figure thing. We'll figure everything out. Have you tried getting through Alexis' phone again? Margaret sighed and was like, was like, yeah, I've tried a lot. Probably a few times an hour, and it always just goes straight through to voicemail as if her phone is off. Margaret finally let go of him, and he grabbed his stuff out of the ram, and they went inside. Any news from the police? No, it's still within the 48-hour window, so there's, they're still not, they're still saying there's nothing they can do. Michael went up to Lexi and Grant's room and looked around. He noticed that things run around the room like somebody was searching for something. There were also things that were broken. Figurines that Lexi owned were shattered on the floor. There didn't seem to be any logic to it. Why were things broken like this? It looked like somebody, someone, wanted, like, wanted it to look like this. And, like, that, like, this has been a robbery or something, but it also looked like someone was angry and deliberately broke stuff. If you're robbing someone, though, why go to such extremes like this and shatter a bunch of breakable, collect, breakable collectibles? As Michael was looking around the room, picking this item up, putting it back down, shuffling broken items with his feet as he walked around the room, Margaret was standing in the doorway watching him. What are you thinking? She asked him. Michael had been deep in thought and her question snapped him out of it. Huh? He said, having not heard her. What are you thinking? She repeated. It's just strange. What is? She asked. Michael sighed as he motioned around the room with his hand. I mean, it looks like a robbery gone wrong, but at the same time, why so many broken items? What do you mean? Margaret asked. Michael pointed, some, pointed to some of the clutter on the floor and continued. I mean, look at how a lot of the drawers have pretty much been dumped on the floor, but then there's all Lexi's collectibles that look like they were just deliberately thrown on the floor and broken. Why? Margaret looked where Michael was gesturing towards and sighed. Yeah, I kind of wondered about that too. Michael was like, did the police have anything to say about this case or about any of this? They said they opened an official case because of how suspicious it looks, but they said since Lexi is an adult and Grant is her son, they didn't see any anything that would give them grounds to open an official kidnapping or robbery case. So nothing is missing as far as we know, Michael asked. No, everything looks like it's here for the most part. It's just thrown all about the room, as, and as you can see, quite a few things are broken. But nothing seems to be missing except for Lexi and Grant. That's just so weird, Michael said. So basically, they want us to wait 48 hours before they'll actively search for them? Pretty much, Margaret replied. Michael decided to close Lexi's door. Just being in her room and not knowing where she or Grant were, or even if they were okay, or even what was going on and, you know, what was going on was feeling like way too much to handle. He found himself very easily hyperventilating just thinking about it and thinking about how much he worried about them and missed them. He had picked up one of little Grant's toys and the tears started to flow. God, I hope they're okay, Michael said to himself. Margaret heard him and had come into the room and hugged him. Michael was one of those guys that always tries to put on a tough front. He tried not to show emotion, and if he could avoid it, would also, you know, instead try to always act like he could, uh, like he had everything under control. 
After all the years of being with Margaret, though, his wife pretty much knew that all she had to do was either hug him or ask him if he was okay, when she could tell that he was clearly not, and he would end up breaking down. No sooner had she come over come over to him and pulled him into a hug and was saying quietly into his ear, it's going to be okay, baby. We're, we're going to find them. Michael lost all control and sobbed uncontrollably. After they both hugged and cried for a few minutes, Michael pulled himself together and they left the room. Closing the door, he thought to himself that it was just too much and had figured on not going back in there if he could avoid it. The heartache was just too intense. 48 hours later, they went to the, the police department and inquired about their case. They were directed to a small room and told somebody would be with them in a few. Michael and Margaret, an officer said as he came into the room. They stood up and responded. Yes, sir. I'm Michael. This is my wife, Margaret. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Uh, I'm Detective Jones. I'll be the one handling your case. Yeah, good to meet you, Detective. Uh, since you're the one on the case, does that mean that it's officially a missing persons case? Margaret asked. Yes, ma'am. It's been over 48 hours, so we can officially approach it as a missing persons case. Have you heard anything from, from your daughter? Um, her name is Lexi, right? Yes, sir, Michael said. And no, we have not heard anything from her. We've tried to reach out several times, but her phone always goes straight to voicemail. Well, uh, we'll need her phone number and any other information that you may have about your daughter and grandson. Anything you can provide us would be helpful in figuring out what happened and would help us to locate them. Michael and Margaret wrote down Lexi's phone number for the detective. Uh, what other, what other, other information do you need? Margaret asked. The detective looked at the phone number on the sheet of paper and asked, Do you know if there's anyone that would want to harm your daughter or your grandson? They both looked at each other and shook their heads. No, detective, we can't think of anyone. What about anyone that, uh, that might have a grudge against, or a grudge or whatever against your family? It could be something that might not even have anything to do with them, but could have been someone with an issue with either you or your wife. I mean, uh, we're both divorced, and neither of them are pleasant, but what, what divorce is, right? Michael said. You don't think uh, either of our exes have anything to do with this, do you? Not necessarily, the detective said. Um, however, we need we need to not rule any information out. I'm going to need a list of people you both think, or both can think of, no matter how relevant you might uh, think it might be. Michael and Margaret wrote down the names of their exes, along with names of other family members and friends. They both didn't understand why the detective wanted the names of their exes. They hadn't had anything to do with them since long before they even had their family. But they figured it couldn't hurt, so they gave them any and all information that they could think of. It had been about six months since the case had been opened. They still had not had any contact with Lexi, and the detective reached out to them every so often to update them on the progress of the case. There really hadn't been much progress, but the detective wanted to keep in touch so that they would know that he was still working on it, or still actively working on it. It wasn't going to make their worry or heartache go away, but Detective Jones knew that anything he could do would help, so he tried to at least keep the lines of communication open. Over the previous six months, Michael and Margaret had struggled emotionally whenever they were hanging out at home. They had a bunch of Grant's toys and sippy cups that they had ended up boxing up and putting, all, putting them all back into Lexi's room. 
see in the Grand Kettle stuff only served to tug at their heartstrings and make them sad all the time. Every time whenever Michael would be able to park his work truck and come home again, Margaret would mention something she thought about their daughter and grandson, and she would break down sobbing. Michael would hug her, and while trying to keep his emotions in check as much as he possibly could, would tell her that things are going to be okay. Margaret, quite a bit, would sob and say, What if it won't, though? What if we never find them? What if we never figure out what happened on happened or who did this? Michael would just sigh and be like, My love, I, I don't have any of the answers. All I can do is keep doing what all we can do is keep doing what we're doing. Detective Jones is working on the case, and as soon as he finds anything, he'll let us know. I know, Margaret said as she sighed. It's just it's so hard not knowing anything. Michael's phone went off and he noticed it was the local police department. Hello? He said as he answered the call. Hello, sir. This is Detective Jones. We had a ping on Lexi's phone. What does that mean? He got a ping on her phone. In the background, Margaret was like, what's going on? Michael put his phone on speaker. Uh, you're on speaker, Detective. You were saying? Yes, sir. We got a ping on Lexi's phone. Basically, that means that it came online. It was very brief, but it allowed us to temporarily get a location on it. It was 500 miles south along I-95. Do either of you know anybody down there? No, we don't. Uh, what are you thinking, Detective? Well, it's still too early uh, to know anything for sure. It only came online for a few minutes, and then it went offline. Usually what this means is the phone is powered on for whatever reason, and then was then powered off. The good thing about this, though, is that we at least know that her phone is still active. It's just being kept powered off. You said it was 500 miles south of us? So down near, like, North Carolina, right? Detective Jones replied, Yeah, the northern end of North, Car North Carolina. We couldn't tell if they were heading in a specific direction since the phone pinged for just a brief amount of time. If it had stayed active longer, then we could have gotten more information. For now, at least, we know roughly where it was located and we've gotten in touch with local law enforcement in that area and given your daughter and grandson's description. They will call us if they see them, and of course, any information we receive, we'll then forward to you. Thank you, Detective, they both said before ending the call. Every time Michael went back out on the road for his two weeks out, he did his best to try not to think about the situation they were dealing with. If he let himself think too much, then he struggled to keep his head in the game when trying to do his job. Every so often, he would be picking up his next load at a customer, and he would be struggling to keep himself focused on what he was doing. Michael started picking up picking loads off the online load board, deliberately sending himself to places he thought there might be a chance of finding Lexi and Grant, based on the information they had received. The detective, over the previous months, had gotten in touch with him a few times, letting him know of other times that her phone had come online for just a few minutes before going inactive again. After it went active somewhere in North Carolina, the following month it went online again, but this time it was around the Dallas area. It went online there a few times, being in a different part of Dallas each time. The detective, of course, had asked Michael and Margaret if they knew anyone in that area, and Margaret didn't. Michael was like, well, um, the only person I know down there would be my ex. Like, She was pretty unstable, but I haven't had any communication with her since before Margaret and I got together. I don't think she even knows I have kids with someone else. Detective Jones said, well, as I've said before, we can't rule anyone or anything out. Can you send me your ex's information just in case? Uh, I know you sent it to me, but please send it to me again. Sure, Detective. Uh, we will send that over to you. 
I don't know if she's still even in Dallas. That was the last place I heard of for her. When we split up, we'd actually gone from Dallas to Indiana, and then we were in Montana before we got divorced. I heard that a friend helped her move back to Dallas, and I also heard that friend became her second husband. I think they've since gotten divorced too. Um, not gonna lie, I did check up on her a couple times on Facebook over the years since our divorce, but it's been quite a bit since I last did it, so I don't know her if she's married to anyone else. That's totally fine. All this information you provided should be pretty helpful. Should should we need to investigate further as far as your ex-wife is concerned? The detective replied. Michael hadn't really wanted to be anywhere near Dallas since that's where his ex lived. As far as he knew, she was still there. He had taken loads that passed through Dallas and had not even had to stop in the city and still he found himself stressing quite a bit whenever he made his way through. Now, however, with the way he was booking his loads, trying to search throughout the country to see if he could pick up any leads as to the whereabouts of his daughter and grandson, he decided to book a load going to Dallas, Texas. He picked up a load in New Jersey, and it was roughly about 1,500 miles to the customer he was delivering to in Dallas, and so he had about three days worth of driving to get there. He could go about 550 miles per day before having to stop for his 10-hour break. And so he took that time to listen to anything he could to try to get his head in the right frame of mind. He knew that his odds of finding anything or any sort of leads, just like all the other locations he had been to, would be slim to none. But he felt that this was something he had to do, and something that he could do. It made Michael feel slightly better about the situation when he could tell himself that at least he was trying to do something about it, even if he was failing. He had to try. Two days in, less than 500 miles left, until he would, would arrive at his customer in Dallas. He was both excited and terrified. <sighs> what if I find something? What if I manage to see them? What will I be able to do? So many questions went through his head as he rolled down the highway in his loaded tractor trailer. Shaking his head, he put on some music on his streaming app and started singing along to a few of his favorite songs. Michael knew he had to do whatever he could to keep his head on straight. It was too easy for him to overthink and allow himself to sink really low and that wouldn't be good. How will I be able to accomplish anything whether I find them or not? If I allow myself to become depressed because of the worry and the doubt, I mean, get it together, man. Like Lexi and Grant need us. We have to do whatever we can, not only to find them, but bring them home, he would say to himself. Fifteen hundred miles in, he was finally pulling into his customer to, in Dallas. It only took four hours, but finally his, his load was delivered, and he was headed back to back to the truck stop to park. Any time he booked a load somewhere, based off information from the detective about Lexi's phone having gone active somewhere around that area, he would deliver his load, find a place to park, and he'd get himself a hotel for a few days. After delivering his load and the customer signing his bills, he made his way down to the Love's truck stop just down the road and found an open parking space. He packed a bag, pulled the curtains closed, and went onto the Rideshare app to arrange a ride to the nearest hotel. Thank you for choosing to stay with us. How long will you be staying with us? The front desk worker asked. I will be here uh, four days, Michael said. Excellent. Car or cash or card, sir? Uh, card. 
Michael said as he handed the credit card to the hotel clerk. Also, I'm going to need the Wi-Fi information, please, Michael said. Of course, there you go, the hotel clerk said as he handed a small piece of paper to Michael. After getting settled in his room, he offered up, he opened up his MacBook on the small desk in the corner, typed in the Wi-Fi information, and within a few minutes, he was officially online. He had a few locations that the, de the detective had given him where Lexi's phone had pinged from. It had come online in three separate areas, and they had explained that they could try to use the location of the towers that it pinged from to try to narrow down the area. Based on the information that he had, it looked like Lexi and Grant, or at least Lexi's phone, was located in the northern part of the city. After doing quite a bit of research after he had checked in, it was really late and he was he was tired, so he decided to call it a night. Shutting down his computer, he headed to bed to get some rest. He told himself, if they're still down here, I'm not going to accomplish anything if I'm not in the right headspace because of being overly tired. The next day, he took his notebook that he jotted down a lot of notes about where the cell phone had come online at, including popular businesses in the area, a few neighborhoods, and decided he would Uber around the city and act like he was someone seeing the sights. He had brought a small backpack that he packed with a few snacks, his notebook, and a few random items, brought along a digital camera. He had this idea that he could walk around taking pictures of random sites and even taking pictures of random crowds and uh, you know, crowds of people, and then he could check them out later when he got back to the hotel and see if anything jumped out. Maybe, he thought, he'd get lucky and recognize someone in one of the photos or see something that would stand out and warrant another visit to that location. All that day, he visited random tourist destinations around the areas that Lexi's phone had gone active in. He had a large capacity memory card in his camera so he could take hundreds of photos before having to upload them to his computer and clear the memory card so he could end up taking more photos. He knew he could technically be taking these photos with his phone, but he had figured doing things this way, he would look more like a tourist using an actual camera, so that is what he did. He got back to the hotel just before dark. He went online and ordered some Chinese food to be delivered to his hotel room and hopped into the shower to get cleaned up and try to de-stress a little bit. When his food arrived, he sat down at his desk with his food, opened up his computer to upload the photos and started going through everything he collected that day. He had gotten through about 200 of the photos without seeing anything that stood out and he had clicked through a few more of the photos and then thought, wait a minute, and he backed up a few photos, few backed up to a few of the previous photos. What's that? He asked himself as he looked at one of the photos. It was quite a ways away in the photo, so he could barely see it, but he had noticed as he was flipping through that there appeared to be a dark vehicle in one of them that he had not seen anywhere else. What kind of vehicle is that? He asked himself as he tried to zoom in and then enhance the photo as much as he could. That looks like a van with black windows. He could only see a partial view of the plate because of the van the angle of the van in the photo, but he couldn't make out the state it was from. The image was too far away, and when he tried to zoom in, it was too blurry for him to see it clearly. He went to the photo before that one and looked close, and he immediately could see that what looked like three people walking in the direction of the van. He noticed that one of them looked to be a young female, but was wearing a hat and clothes that didn't look like they were in good shape. Michael couldn't tell if this was Lexi because of how they were dressed, and the hat especially made it difficult. But what did jump out at him was the fact that this person had had a little person that they were holding their hand and towing behind them. 
Something else that Michael noticed was the third person looked like it could be a female too. And he couldn't tell for sure, but this person had something concealed and pressed to the back of the person that was holding the little person's hand. Hmm, that's interesting. He picked up his phone and dialed the detective. Detective Jones speaking. Hey, detective, it's Michael. I uh, might have caught something on camera today. I saw a group of three people, one of, them to one of them towing a little person by the hand, and one of them had something against the back of the other adult. I couldn't see what it was because it looked like they had it covered by some part of their sleeve. But there's also a van. I can't see the details clearly in the van, but I was because it was pretty far away. Did one of our neighbors report to you guys that they had witnessed a black van with black windows leaving the scene? Yes, sir. You might have something. Uh, send me what you have, and I'll have your I'll have our I'll have our specialists see if they can further enhance it and see if we can make anything out of it. I'll send it right over. How long until they'll be able to tell me if, if it's something that might help? Uh, we'll just need a few hours. Uh, where are you at? I'm down here in Dallas for a few days since this was the last place you said y'all had her, seen her phone go active. I'm in a hotel and just touring the city for a few days and snapping pictures and seeing if I come across anything that stands out. I've been to a lot of different places and this is the first time I got something on camera that might make, that made me think that I needed to get in touch with you right away. Please get back to me as soon as you know something, detective. And with that, he disconnected the call and immediately sent the detective the photos. A few hours later, Michael got a text from the detective with an enhanced photo of the plate and with the enhancements, you could just barely see the word Missouri on the plate. Michael messaged back, you gotta be shitting me. Can, can that be the same van? We think it is. Um, the photo of the three people he sent appears they are headed straight for that van and my colleagues said based on the photo they believe that the two people on the right the one that looks like a young female that is covered up quite a bit and holding the hand of that little person uh, we think that is Lexi and Grant we can't prove it because we can't see much but my colleagues believe that whoever the third person is that they are forcing the other two to go with them they do not appear to be going to that van willingly but there's one other thing we think we might know who that van might possibly belong to didn't you say your ex's name was Vanthorn? Laura Vanthorn? Michael's breath caught in his throat for a second. He swallowed and said, Yeah, why do you ask? Like, you don't think she had anything to do with this, do you? I know it's been a while since I've seen Laura. She actually went by Laurie back when I knew her, but her real name was Laura. Michael looked at the photo again. I mean, he said, Can that be her? I really don't recognize anyone in the picture. It's just It just jumped out because I saw the van and then noticed the two people being what looked to be escorted forcefully to the van. Well, the detective said, we can't get a positive idea on anyone in the photo because we can't clearly see their faces. But like you said, there's someone that looks to be around the same age as Lexi from what we can see. And then there's a little person that definitely looks like they could be around five years old. We can't tell if it's a boy or a girl because they are fully covered up. But with those two in the van, even without the third person, all that evidence makes us believe that you definitely got them on camera. If so, then the fact that you were in the same place as they were is definitely a good sign. We did manage to get a partial plate number, and the reason I asked about your ex is... We found, we found out that your ex 
has a black van like that and the plate on her van begins with the same numbers that we could make out. We couldn't confirm that it was or was not her van since we can't see all the numbers on the photo. But it's definitely a lot more progress than we made recently. Michael was dumbfounded. He sat there just staring at the photo for a, few, for a minute or two, not saying anything. Michael, are you still there? The detective said. Yeah, sorry. I'm just uh, not sure what to think about all this. Uh, why would Laura, if it if it even was her, why would she come after our daughter and grandson? They've never had anything to do with her. They came along years after she and I were divorced. We've never had anything to do with each other since, Michael said. Honestly, sir, we have no idea. What's weird is we can't find a whole lot of information on Miss Vanthorn. We have records of her prior prior to y'all being married, and there are records of you two being together, but in the past 20 years since you and she got divorced, we were not able to find a whole lot of anything about her. It's really strange. What do you mean, Michael said? Well, the detective said. With everyone, uh, there's always some kind of trail. A, a paper trail, so to speak. But since the two of you got divorced, there's nothing on her. No credit card or bank statement, no applications. Wait a minute, Michael said. But you said that she has a van just like the one in the picture that's registered to her. Yes, that's right. Um, the detective said. It's registered to her, and it's a current registration, but the address it's registered to is in someone else's name and the registration has been getting, been getting paid by what looks to be a prepaid card so there's no names attached to it. It's like when someone uses phones that they can buy from one of those retail stores and there's no way to prove whose phone it is since it's not a regular cell phone. Basically a burner phone. Oh, okay, I see. Um, then what's our next move? Can your team track wherever Laura's van might be right this moment or is that not possible? Well, we put out a bolo for that plate number, and we got a, a hit a few hours east of you. The van matching her plate was photographed going through a toll booth a few hours east of where you're at now. It's currently in Texas still, and so we believe very strongly that Miss Vanthorn is somehow involved in this and whatever is going on. We can't say for sure that the person in your photograph was definitely Laura, but the fact that a van matching the description and the plate was seen a few hours east of you makes us think that we're on the right track. Michael, I need you to listen to me. You need to be careful. I understand you want to find your daughter and grandson and bring them home. But if those two people in the photo being forced to the van were indeed Lexi and Grant, then something is going on and that we do not understand, and this could be very dangerous. Whoever it is, if it's Miss Vanthorn or someone else, if they realize that you're getting close to them, they could react violently and we won't be able to protect you. Detective, I understand what you're saying, but I, I can't just let it go. I can't. It takes every ounce of strength I have in me to, to go out on the road whenever I'm loaded and do my job and not let myself completely lose my mind because of all the worry and stress I'm completely under. Looking for them gives me something to do, some way of trying to make a difference. But if I have anything to do with it, I intend to bring my family back home. The detective sighed. Okay, well, since we can't say anything to get you to hang back and let's handle it, please promise me that you'll be careful. If you see anything or anyone that you think might have anything to do with this case, do not approach them. Do you hear me? Yes, sir, I hear you. 
because I'll say it again, we cannot protect you if you go after them by yourself. So if you see anything, you take the information and photos or video that you have, you get yourself back to a safe place, and you get in touch with me immediately. Okay? Yes, sir, detective, I promise. Good. Now, how long are you going to be in Dallas? Well, I've got another uh, two days booked here, but if the information you have is right, it sounds like whoever has Lexi and Grant has left town and is headed east. I'll spend one more day here and see if I can if I get any of the leads, and then I'll get myself loaded up and head back out of town. Okay, the detective said, "You be careful, and I'll let you know when we have any any new information." Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Michael said, hanging up the call. The next day, Michael took an Uber to a different part of town and did like he had done the previous day. Took his digital camera and had his backpack on with any supplies he might need for the for the day, plus some extra cash. Visited a few sites in the area, stopped at a German restaurant to order food to go before heading back to the hotel for the night. He got himself all set up at at the desk with his dine with his dinner and plugged his camera into his MacBook and uploaded all his photos for the day. After flipping through them one by one, he didn't see anything that jumped out at him. No more sights of any dark colored vans with black windows and didn't see three the three people again. Or at least if he did he didn't realize it. The next day he figured that he would go back on the load board with his company and find a load heading east. He didn't know where he specifically should go, but until he heard something from the detective, he figured he'd head east, and at every town he stopped in, just take, a, take one full day off and, a, and sightsee while taking photos and seeing if he got any clues. His first delivery was just inside the state of Louisiana. He picked a few random places to visit for a day and snapped hundreds of photos, but didn't see anything. So the next day, he continued east with his next load. About a week later, Michael had started going northeast because of the loads that were available for pickup. And he received a text from the detective with a picture of a black man with black windows. It looked like it was at a toll plaza. Michael asked, where was this taken? On a toll route in Florida, uh, we couldn't see the plate because they had it partially covered up, but they had the top of the plate still exposed, and it is definitely a Missouri plate. And also, the detective continued, we got another hit on your daughter's cell phone a few days back. It was a few towns over from where the picture was taken, or from where there was a few towns over from where the picture of the van was spotted. What about my ex? Any new information on her, Michael asked. Well, the detective said, we don't have anything concrete, but there's definitely something odd about Miss Fanthorn's history or lack thereof. What do you mean? Michael asked. Well, sir, like I said, there's barely anything we could find in your act, but uh, we tried to dig a little deeper and based on our time search time frame, starting around the time you and she got divorced to now, there are other individuals that appear to have vanished without a trace. And uh, they all have had some kind of connection to Miss Vanthorn. We can't tie anything to her exactly because we don't have any physical evidence. But there's a record of missing person cases dating as far back as almost 20 years ago, just after you and she split up. And there were, pe and there were people that we believe were connected to your ex. 
we can't tell if it was through romantic relationships or friendships or if it's just someone that knew her but several of these people several of these people in these missing person cases were never found or ever seen again are you serious Michael said have any of the, these uh, missing persons ever been found that's the other odd thing about them. Uh, besides being connected to Miss Vanthor, none of them, not one, were ever found. None of them were ever seen or heard from ever again. And there's at least a dozen that that uh, there are records on. There could be more. I only know of the ones that I found information on. How is that even possible? How could so many people go missing without a trace, Michael asked. Sadly, it happens more often than you think, uh, the detective said. Michael sighed. Okay, thank you, Detective Jones. Please keep me informed, and I'll do the same. I definitely will. You be careful, sir. Michael had pulled over at a truck stop to take his 10-hour break, and just after getting off the phone call with Detective Jones. He figured he was extremely tense, and he told himself he needed to relax. So he figured he'd stop for the night at a truck stop, get himself a good meal and a really hot shower, and then try to get some sleep. The next day, he would route himself back towards home so he could spend a few days at home with Margaret. Ever since he was young, he'd always loved hot showers. Like, really hot showers. The hotter, the better. He could stand under the hot water for an hour and just let it wash over him. Sometimes, he'd stand there in the scalding hot water and just close his eyes and try to not think about anything. It was an easy way for him to try to quite literally let the hot water wash the stress off him. Most of the time it worked. Every so often when he, had gotten, when he got done and headed to bed, he'd still be stressed out, but there wasn't much he could really do about it. After his shower, he headed to the diner and got what he was listed on the menu as a long-haul breakfast. It was one of his favorites. It came with two eggs, French toast, hash browns, a biscuit, gravy, and two sausage patties. He especially loved the biscuits and gravy and the fact that it also came with sausage patties because he could cut up the sausage patties and eat them with the biscuits and gravy. The only thing that was missing was the bacon, but there was already so much food that although he was tempted to also order bacon, he figured that would definitely be too much. The next day, he picked up his next load and got on the interstate headed north towards PA. It was going to be a couple of days since he was still about 850 miles away. He figured he could make it to his destination in about a day and a half. By Saturday morning, he was pulling into the guard shack of the customer that he was delivering to. A few hours later, he had been unloaded. The customer was signing his bills, and he was headed out. Only took another hour for him to get to the location where he usually parked his truck and trailer. Since he was empty and didn't want to lose his empty, his empty trailer, he parked it in the back of back lot and left his truck attached to his trailer. Grabbing his stuff, he walked to the front lot, grabbing his ram, and headed home. He had messaged Margaret when he headed out of, out of the south and updated her on the information that he had about their daughter and grandson and about his ex and that he was booking a load to bring him, bring him back home for some much needed home time. She was excited for him to be home since he'd been out for not quite two weeks by that point. At the breakfast table the next morning, Mar 
Michael had made up some uh, cheese omelets for him and Margaret, and they were sipping on their cups of coffee. Margaret could see that Michael was deep in thought as he sipped his coffee, and she reached over to him and squeezed his hand. Michael jumped slightly and then squeezed her hand back and smiled at her. You okay? She asked. I'd say yeah, but you know I'm not. I don't think neither of us is. I'd ask if you are, but again, I know the answer, he said. She kissed his cheek. Yeah, but we still gotta try to be okay. Even if we're not, even if we may never be, we gotta keep trying. Somehow I have to believe that things are gonna be okay. I think we'll figure things out. We'll bring, we'll get them back. Yeah, I have my worries and doubts, but when I, when I think about those, I try to tell myself that we'll find them. Like you said, I, I have to believe things, that things will be okay. We can't just give up, especially because it's Lexi and Grant. You know how I, you know, I pray for them every day. He said, yeah, I do too. And every time I break down sobbing in the middle of my prayer, she said, yeah, me too. Michael said. Suddenly, Michael's phone went off. Margaret frowned at him. Hey now, no phones at the table. Oh yeah, you're right, my love. Um, I'll just... But his voice chilled off as he looked at the caller ID. What is it? Margaret asked. It's uh, Detective Jones. Hello? Michael said as he answered the call. Michael, it's Detective Jones. Do you have a moment? I have an update about your daughter and grandson. Michael put the phone on speaker. You're on speaker, Detective. I'm home with my wife. Good morning, Detective, Margaret said. Good morning, ma'am. Uh, like I was just telling your husband, we have some updates about your daughter and grandson. Really? What's going on, Margaret said. Well, Michael, when you and I last spoke, I told you about how we had a photo of a van fitting the description of the van that was seen leaving your cul-de-sac at, at a toll booth of Florida while well, we have more information about Miss Vanthorne. Yeah, Michael was telling me that you think that his ex has something to do with our, grand, our daughter and grandson's disappearance. How can that be? Uh, we got together a while after they were divorced. She's never had any contact with him or had anything to do with our family. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, ma'am. Uh, what I do know is that the last half dozen or so times that we've gotten a photograph of that that black van that we believe, if Miss Vanthorn doesn't own it, then the van is at least somehow connected to her. It has been in an area not far from the last area that we got a hit from your daughter's phone. That can't just be a coincidence. In my line of work, there are coincidences. There, in my line of work, there are coincidences, which for us is like once or twice, but it's been too frequent to just be a coincidence. Well, have you been able to track down Laura? Do you, do you know where she is? No, ma'am. Uh, like I told your husband a while back, the past 20 years, there hasn't been a whole lot of paper chill on Miss Vanthorn at all. It's probably the most the most odd case I've ever dealt with. And I know, if, and I don't know if your husband told you, but the last 20 years since they got divorced, we came up, we came across records of missing persons reports going all the way back. These are all cases of individuals we believe most, if not all of them, to be men that had some connection to Miss Vanthorn and they were never seen or heard from ever again. That's so crazy, Margaret said as she buried her face in her hands and took a few deep breaths. Sir, ma'am, the reason for my call, and I apologize I didn't get right to the point, is that we lost track of the van in Florida. The last photo we received was from an interstate along the eastern side. It was not even a toll route, it, so probably wouldn't have gotten a picture of it, but it looks like whoever was driving ran a red light, and they got a photo from the red light camera. After we got that hit, we immediately issued a bolo for the van with that plate, but it's been at least a few days, and we haven't got any any more information about it. 
but the main reason for my call is just the other day we had another ping from your daughter's phone. But what's odd about it? Odd about it? What wasn't even that? What's odd about it was that it wasn't even in the country. It was out near a group of islands. Um, it was active longer than it had been any of the other times that it came online. But then we lost it again. Michael thought for a moment and was like, "Wait a minute," he said. Where are these islands that the phone pinged from, or pinged near? Well, the detective said. They're several, several miles east of Miami. There's like a half dozen or more, and from the information I have about them, most of them are uninhabited as far as we know. But one of them has a handful of villages, and there are tourists that visit it. The U.S. government has forces that have been deployed there, and from what we know, basically they are there to scout the island and map it out. Aside from that, I haven't been able to get any information about it. Why do you ask? The detective said. Well, detective, Michael said, uh, my brother Brad and his fiance Angela, I think, are either headed to that island on a vacation or are already there. I haven't talked to them in quite a while. Uh, Brad has been pretty busy. He has two young girls that went through a really bad breakup. And so he and I haven't really talked recently. I'm not proud of it, but it's probably been a year since I reached out. I only know about them heading that way because my mom said something a month or so back when she had come up to visit us. Well, thank you for the information, Detective Jones said. See if see if you can get a hold of Brad. See if you might be able to get any further information. If we hear if we hear anything on our end, we will let you and Margaret know. Sounds good, Detective. I'll try to get in touch with them and I'll let you know when I find out. Michael said. Thank you for your time, and you, and you both have a good rest of your day, Detective Jones said. So what are we going to do, Margaret said. Michael sighed. I guess I'm going to try to see if I can get in touch with Brad. Maybe uh, they can keep a lookout when they're on that island. I just have a weird feeling about all this. What do you mean, Margaret said. It's just, we have this stuff happen to us. Lexi and Grant disappear in a way that looks like they were taken. And after all this time, her phone co coming back online in different, several different states. Now it was last active around the same location of an island that my brother Brad and his fiance Angela are either visiting now or are going to be there really soon. And probably one of the biggest questions in my mind is, what the hell does Laura have to do with any of this? Michael said. I don't know, Margaret said. I, I wouldn't think she'd even know about Lexi and Grant since we've had nothing to do with her since we two got divorced. Exactly, Michael said. And yet, the van that Detective and his team have been tracking is has been somehow around the same areas or at least close to wherever Lexi's phone has come online and the, the van has some connection to Laura. So what the hell does my ex have to do with Lexi and Grace's appearance and how is it all connected to the island that my brother and his fiance are going to be visiting? Margaret refilled both her coffee cups and hugged him tightly. Love, I think, I think you need to try to see if you can get in touch with Brad. You're right, Michael said, pulling out his phone. You've reached a number that is not in service or been disconnected. What the hell? Michael said. Margaret looked at him with an eyebrow raised. What is it? She said. The number I have says it's no longer in service. Hold on, I'm going to call my mom. Michael's mom goes by the name Vicky, short for, short for Victoria. Hello? Vicky said, answering her call. Hey, Mom, how are you? Mikey, is that you? Vicky said. Michael sighed. Mom, you know I hate that nickname. Vicky laughed. Sorry, Michael. It's so good to hear from you. It's been a long time. Is everything okay? No, Michael said. I'm trying to get in touch with Brad, but the number I have said it's out of service. Did he change his number? Yeah, he did, Vicky replied. After the breakup with his ex, things were pretty rough. She was 
unstable to say the least. Brad felt it was a good idea to sever all ties in order to protect him and the girls, so he changed his phone number. Oh, okay. Uh, can you text me his number, please, Mom? It's important, Michael said. Sure, son. I will do that right now. Is everything okay? Vicky said. Yeah, nothing you need to worry about, Mom. Okay, what about my grandkiddos and, and great-grandkiddo? How are they doing? Oh, they're they're uh, they're they're good, Mom. Lexi's working hard, and uh, and uh, Michael had to swallow to keep his emotions in check. And Grant is growing like a weed, as always. Riley's a high schooler now. Time just flies. Oh wow, Vicky said. I can't believe Riley's already in high school. Can I talk to them? I miss them so much. Michael glanced out at the phone, which was lying on the counter on speaker, and glanced at Margaret, and then responded. Well, Riley's staying the night at a friend's house right now, and Lexi took Grant to the park with a bunch of friends and won't be back till late. I'll um, try to have Lexi call you sometime so you can talk to her and the little guy. I'm sure I'm sure they would both love to see you. Lo really, really love to talk to you. Okay, Michael. Uh, give hugs to the girls and that adorable great-grandson of mine. Tell them I love them and I miss them, Vicky said. We will, Mom. We love you, Michael said. Love you, love you, Vicky, Margaret said in the background. Love you guys, too, Vicky said. Bye, y'all. Bye, Mom, Michael said before disconnecting the call. Michael took a sip of his coffee inside. Margaret looked over at him and squeezed his hand. I'd ask why you didn't say anything about Lexi and Grant to your mom, but as soon as I thought about asking, I thought about it, and it dawned on me that you probably don't want to freak her out. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to worry her. We're worrying enough for the three of us. I think I need to try to reach Brad. I'm going to take a leave of absence from my job, and I'm going to head south. I think the best thing for me to do is to head to Miami, catch a cruise to that island as well. It might be the best possible thing I could do to, to finally find them and bring them home, Michael said. Love, you know I support anything and everything you do, especially if it means that you're, you'll bring the rest of our family home safe and sound. But just be careful. I have a bad feeling about it about it all about your ex about her possible connection to Lexi's and Grant's disappearance and now something somehow it's all connected to the island that your brother and his fiance are going to I just have a bad feeling about it all please please be careful Margaret said I will love Michael said pulling pulling out his phone his mom had messaged him Brad's number and he immediately saved it he brought up the contact and hit send it rang a few times and went to voicemail Hey, you've reached Brad. I'm not available. Please leave a message, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. Michael frowned. Margaret asked, what is it? Voicemail. I'll leave a message. Hey, bro. It's been a long time. Sorry about that. Look, we had something bad happen, and I really need to talk to you. Give me a call when you get a chance. Two days later, Michael had continued trying to call, and I left his brother a few more messages and had not heard anything back. So he made the decision to head out and go try to find his brother. Maybe if he found them, he found them either before they got to the island or found them on the island, maybe together they could figure out how to find Lexi and Grant and finally bring them home safe and sound. He decided to leave Brad one more message before he left home. Hey bro, it's me again. Um, I really need to talk to you. Uh, it'll take me a couple days to get down there since I'm all the way up here in PA, but I'm leaving first thing in the morning. When you get this, please call me back, bro. It's really important. Also, tell Angela I said hi, and I can't wait to see you guys. Love you, bro, Michael said as he ended the call. The next morning, Michael, pick, Michael packed up his ram and his stuff, 
or packed up his stuff, was ran with his stuff and any supplies he thought he might need and headed out. He got on I-95 and headed south out of PA. At least he knew where he was ultimately headed. He knew where he was going. He just didn't know what to expect once he got there. He didn't know what he was going to do or how he was going to find his daughter and grandson. First things first, though. He had to find his brother, Brad, and his future sister-in-law, Angela, and make, make sure that everything was good with them. And hopefully, together, they would be able to find Lexi and Grant. It would be a long drive down to Miami. Michael had no idea how to even go about getting to the island. He didn't even have a name for the island. And all he knew was that Brad and Angela were supposed to be going to that very same island and that they were first going to be Miami, and so that was where he was headed. Michael told himself that he would figure it out once he got there. He figured he would figure things out as he went along, at least until he maybe, hopefully, got more information from the detective. But being that the last place Lexi's phone pinged from was the island, he feared that maybe the detective would not be able to do anything else. So now, it was up to him. He would find his brother and his fiance, and then hopefully together they would be able to find his daughter and grandson. And so, the search went on. The adventure continued. The end. For now. Welcome back, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Storytime Friday. Um, I apologize because the entire family was sick all week. So I didn't know if I was going to be able to record this week's story because, as you probably heard, voice is a little cracky. It's a little better, so that's why I was was like, well, I got to go ahead and do it. But, you know, I got it done, got it in there. You know, apologize, it doesn't sound probably doesn't sound perfect but hey the best i could you know my big thing i try to do every week is make sure that i'm at least getting these episodes posted when i'm when i'm trying to post them you know get them posted every tuesday and friday between 5 and 6 p.m central standard time and uh you know try to keep consistent keep uh you know keep going you know but um definitely as as you guys could tell that was definitely a lot longer of a story compared to last week's and uh i, I hope you enjoyed the little twist at the end because yes that that's technically the end of that story for now because there's it could very well possibly be more to that story later on not necessarily next week but that story could continue in one way shape or form and i can't give any any more clues as to how so <laughs> But anyway, um, I appreciate y'all being here with me and hanging out with me on this um, this edition of the Storytime Friday on the Blodgett Show. I'm your host, Chris Blodgett. Um, as I always say, guys, keep pushing forward, keep believing. Um, believe you can, believe you will. And you're already halfway there. And then you just have to go out there and do it. And then, um, you know, just keep pushing forward. That's the biggest thing, you know. So, on that note, guys, um, thank you for joining me this week, and I look forward to seeing you guys on Tuesday. We do the 
next version, the next edition of Real Talk Tuesday. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Like and follow. Share with your friends. Uh, you know, got the email out there too as well. The uh, Show Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, uh, whenever I post these episodes, I'll have uh, the um, technically the tip link supported if anybody wants to support but otherwise if you want to support just by uh, liking and following and you know sharing the podcast that's great too but anyway i've been having fun with y'all the past couple you know since we've been doing these story time fridays and i look forward to many 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 more so tune in with me uh, on tuesday for real talk and i'll see you guys again next friday on story time friday but for now i'll see you on tuesday for episode 62 real talk tuesday have a good one, guys.